BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of Friend of a Friend is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare infused with a high concentration of ingredients and derived from the uniquely revitalizing winter-blooming red camellia flower. Packaged with lightweight glass, organic ink, and other bio-based materials, Numero 1 de Chanel forges an unprecedented path of skincare innovation. Numero 1 de Chanel, beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I am back in LA after a week in New York City for New York Fashion Week. And today's episode was so much fun because I got to debrief the week and talk all things fashion with a fashion icon, Queer Eye's resident style expert, Tan France. When it comes to fashion, there is no one busier, more in demand, and more in the know than Tan. Not only was he also at New York Fashion Week for all the shows and being impossibly chic, but he is also just off the launch of his second collection of his outerwear label, Was Him. The brand offers gender-neutral coats and jackets that give a bit more than your average Zara coat with gorgeous embroidery and prints, but at a really affordable price. He's also currently starring in season six of Queer Eye, which takes place in Texas and honestly has to be my favorite season yet. And he also just announced season two of Netflix's hit show, Next in Fashion, alongside a brand new co-host, Gigi Hadid. I did mention he was really busy, right? Today, we get the inside scoop on all things fashion from Tan, from his favorite trends at Fashion Week to how he became a globally recognized fashion figure. We also get a behind the scenes of the Netflix show, Next in Fashion, Fatherhood, The Fab Five, and more. If you guys haven't checked out Was Him yet, I absolutely love the brand. I actually just got myself the long plaid coat. It is so beautiful, so beautifully made. It's giving really amazing shoulders and a really beautiful silhouette. So I can't recommend it enough. Go to thmbl.com, thimble.com. It's linked in the description here. I hope you guys love it as much as I do. And I hope you guys love this episode. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Thank you all for tuning in and have an amazing week ahead. Here is my friend, Tan France. Hello. Hi, Liv. How are you? I've been so good. I haven't seen you in so long. I haven't seen you since pre-Panny. I know. I think it's been like two and a half years. Which is crazy. It's crazy. Wait, first off, I'm so sorry. I know I'm like three minutes late. I could not put my baby down. It's just my life. He just sometimes will not let me go without a scream attack. So it is what it is. Oh, my God. Well, now you're making me feel bad. I feel like we should just like get off the phone and you should go over there. Sometimes he just he really struggles like letting go. Oh, my God. How has it been? I am so happy for you. Thank you so much. Listen, I, we're just gonna be honest. It's beautiful, but it is so 
I don't think anyone could have pre- prepared for how hard it is. Like, yeah. shockingly difficult. It's tough. Yeah. I, the, I don't know how single parents do it. I don't know how people uh, who don't have paternity leave or maternity leave do it. Also, work, trying to work on a, in a job where you have to travel a lot is just nuts. I'm sure. You were just in New York, right? I was. I was there for four days. It was the uh, first time since October that I've been away for longer than a night. But re-energizing felt great. I saw my friends. I lived it up. It was amazing. I love it. You were here for Fashion Week? I was there to shoot a campaign for the closing show of Fashion Week uh, for Oscar de la Renta. Oh, major. I know you were here for a bunch of different things, but would love to get your insider mentality. Any shows that you loved? So I w- my last night there, I went to the Altazara show. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I love the Altazara show every year. Like, yeah. And Gabriella does the styling and it is so oh good. So, okay, this is not meant to be a name drop. We both live in this world where we're surrounded by people who are very impressive. And so I was meeting Gab after the show through Gigi, who uh, you, uh, we and, uh, you and I have as a mutual friend, and I didn't know what to expect. She, I knew she was wildly talented. I've only ever known her for her work, not as the personality. Personality lived up to her work. Yes. Like she was wonderful. I immediately, I just thought, oh, we're sisters. Like, and I yep. think we might be sisters for a long time. She's one of those incredibly lovable people. There are very few people in this world who have charisma like Gab that you can't help but fall in love with her. I'm sure that that's the case for everybody. So she probably thinks back off, Tam, I can't be your sister and everybody else's, but that's what I want. And she, her styling is incredible. We all have seen her work, whether you guys at home know it or not, you've seen her work and she does a beautiful job. But this, the styling for this uh, Altazara show were next level. It was next level. My mom, actually, who like is a fashion lover, will literally call me constantly when any time the Altazara show comes out and she'll be like, where do I get this like very small, like dainty chain that was put over this dress? And I'd be like, mom, funny story. I actually know the person that did it. And I remember hitting up Gabriella being like, hey, my mom won't stop talking about this. Like, where did you get these from? Like, I want to get them for her for Christmas. And she's like, girl, they were left over somewhere in the, I think they were like left over somewhere in the Altazara office that she saw. And she was like, I'll try and see if there's more. There didn't end up being more, but like, she's so creative. Like this was a thing she just found in the corner of the Altazara office and made it into like this whole new look for the brand that people like, yeah. to me, when I see that in, if someone texts me a photo, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's Altazara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very much uh, a lock, a statement that they have for the brand that they've managed to pass through many seasons, but every season is so different and unique and therefore you want every piece because it's something uh, different from the last show, but you can still feel that it's interlaced with that brand. She does such a beautiful job. Were there any trends that you saw come out of Fashion Week that you were interested in? I'm going to use a term that is probably so not the term these days because it feels very 2005. I can't wait for uh, this. <laughs> do we still use the term boho or am I just so old that I still refer to it? I'm so glad that you said that because okay. I, it's like, I mean, I don't know if we still use the term boho. Maybe it's just like, for me, it's like more like feminine relaxed. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not, it, you know, here's the thing. When I think of boho, it almost feels 
Indian inspired without culturally appropriating. And it feels, when I think boho, I think it's got an element of the freedom of India. And also you could wear it to Coachella. Right. That's what I think of a boho. So that was a trend that I saw there. There were elements of it in uh, Proenza also. Yes. Not the whole collection, but just it felt a Very little more flowy. free. Yeah, a little more free. It wasn't as structured, didn't feel as uptight. And then also one of my favorite brands is Zimmerman. I, I love an Australian brand. I love Zimmerman. And they were, they often lean into the boho vibe and they really leaned into it, but it was more ethereal, fairy, like mixed with boho. Beautifully done. Their presentation was beautifully done. I saw that also. I went to the Tory Burch show last night and the show was inspired by Manhattan. It was on the 25th floor of this building on 9th Avenue. The views yeah. were insane, like floor to ceiling windows. The whole room was dark when you walked in. So the city pretty much lit the room. And the whole thing was inspired by the way that a New York woman moves. And there were so many beautiful silhouettes that really spoke to that, whether it was, you know, a collared shirt and a vest, a sweater vest, a tailored pant. But then there were also these looks that were kind of a pin straight dress, long sleeve that also gave me a lot of like Altazara vibes, but in these like very bold, bright colors. Something I saw a lot of even at Proenza was like a bright yellow, a bright purple, a bright red. Same at Jason Wu. Same at Carolina Herrera. Like it was almost the color blocking from, was it seven, eight years ago? Yes. everywhere. I'm terrible with dates and years. I'm sure a much better fashion person would know the exact season. But there was a a moment like seven or eight years ago where we saw like 80s style color blocking come back in the hardest way. It's that. It's that. It's this, it's these primary colors, very bright, kind of everywhere. Even Tori Birch had like a bright purple bag. And I'm, it's kind of a welcome shift. I feel like we've been in this like monochrome moment where it's like, all yeah. the same, you're wearing all the same color or, I'm you know. i it my Kanye moment or the Kardashian moment for so yes. long. A lot of like camel, a lot of yeah. browns, which yeah. we love, very chic. Ooh. Yeah. But every show I went to, there were these really bright, powerful colors. Like that yeah. periwinkle at Proenza was yeah. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I, not at all saying that I knew this was coming, but everything I wore publicly this week was so bright. And it was before I even went to my first show. I was feeling like I wanted to pop because I haven't really traveled much the last two years. I haven't done much publicly the last two years, the year and a half, obviously, Penny. Um, and then the last six months, I've been at home with my baby. I've only been out to a couple of public things, but mostly I've stayed at home. And so I just thought, I want to pop. Like I want yes. some. I'm usually a honing beacon with my hair, hair anyway, but I just thought, I don't want it to be mistakeful. I want people to see when I enter that building. Well, that's time because he's loud as anything, his personality and his outfit. And so she loved seeing it on the runway too. I felt very in line with that this year. Like everything I wore felt like a big departure than from what I wear usually. And everything was like color, big skirts, big like silhouettes. It was so different than anything I'd wear. I have been saying this since the very start of the pandemic. God, I hate talking about the pandemic. I'm so (laughs) over this damn pandemic. I have no questions about the pandemic, so don't worry. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. I'm not ever with that. I'm realizing that I've already mentioned it now twice, but I will say this about it. I mean, it's such a global significant moment. Of course. I can't avoid it. But um, about two or three months into the pandemic, we had uh, a season of Queer Eye come out. This, God, it feels like so long ago. And we did press, and, and the amount of times I was asked, 
what do you think is going to happen after the pandemic with fashion? And they were saying it as if it was about to happen next month. So four months in, little did we know, saying, what do you think people will do? And I said, I would like to believe that there's two schools of thought. One, which is the person who will lean into comfort. They've been waiting for this moment where they can just be out of the house in their sweats all day, every day and not be judged for it. Wonderful. That's that one school of thought. However, I would like to believe I'm going to partake in the second school of thought, which is the new look era that was around after the Second World War. Dior introduced like volume like was never before because up until that point, fabric was rationed. And so the new look came about because people were finally starting to be able to get their hands on fabric and they can afford a lot of fabric. And so people were bringing out their best wares. And that's exactly how I felt it was going back to New York this past week, thinking you have been deprived of that moment every day and you just want to have your new look moment. And that's what it felt like for me. Absolutely. I say this on so many episodes that my favorite thing about having a show is that I get the opportunity to learn so much about the people that I admire more than just the average person who's like, oh, let me do a Wikipedia search. Like I get to, you know, really get into the weeds of what makes someone who I really admire who they are. I had no idea that you had such an extensive history in fashion. You were a designer. You sold multiple businesses before you were on Queer Eye. I would love to hear where your ambition for fashion started because you did all of this in your 20s. I did. I don't know if you will share this. And if you don't want to, obviously the producers can cut this out. Do you mind me asking your age? Yeah, of course. I'm 20. Uh, I'm 28. My birthday was last week. I said my old age. Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday. Okay. So you're literally 10 years younger than me. And so uh, I started, well, I'm going to go real uh, way back and I'll give you cliff notes. So I was raised and I am Muslim. My family's Muslim. And we were what we thought really liberal, but everybody else apparently thought we were really strict because we were quite modest in our clothes. The women wore big, long cloaks, headscarves. Some of them wore niqabs, which means you can only see their eyes. And us boys were modest at home also. We would wear what we call shalwakamis, which covers our body. Um, so you can't really see the shape of our bodies. And as a, a young kid, I, I, I loved my culture. I loved my religion, but I was still wanting to be fab. Like I was a little gay boy who just knew I wasn't destined to live and die in this outfit that sh- didn't show off what I wanted to show off. I didn't feel make me feel like the, like I wanted to feel. I knew this at such a, an early age. And so we had at West, what my mum calls English clothes. Uh, we had English clothes that we would have for every, like every two weeks, we'd have something called casual Friday at school where you could wear whatever you wanted. It didn't have to be school uniform, which is what we typically wore. And so I would rework some of those clothes in the comfort of my own home, in my bedroom, when I was meant to be working or doing whatever. I would play with clothes and try and up with outfits from such a young age and then my granddad had a factory that made denim and uh, from the age of seven ish I would go and stay at my grandparents house every Christmas and over the summer I had a bunch of cousins in that area and so I'd go out and play however most of my day started where I would want to go to the factory and watch these people work on the machines because I was so fascinated thinking you took this piece of fabric and within five minutes it's gone from nothing into it was all denim so pair of jeans, a denim jacket, a denim vest, whatever. And it just blew my mind. No no kid had access to that kind of information. Their parents put their clothes on and it is what it is. I knew how to make something. By the time I hit like 12, 13, I knew how to do that as if it was going to be sold at Zara. The quality was if I, 
And it's so impressive at 12 that it could have been sold in a store and those clothes did get made in, uh, sold in stores, stores. And so every now and then I would screw something up purposely, even though my stitching was impeccable. And, and I, it's not anymore. So I can say as a child, it was, I'm not a great sewer anymore. It's been a really long time. But as a kid, it was impeccable. So I would hook it up thinking, well, they're not allowed to sell the faulties, but I get to keep the faulties. And therefore I would then use those things to put my outfits together. And so I always knew what clothes did to make me feel really good about myself when I lived in such uh, it, this is going to sound a, a negative, an oppressive community, even though it wasn't. I loved it. It was just, I, I, I was oppressed when it came to expressing my individuality. And then I knew I wanted to be in fashion. I didn't know how, but I knew I wanted to be uh, a designer. However, I learned very early on, it's actually my granddad who, granddad who said, there are only a few people and they're white who get to be designer designers like they will get to drape something on a mannequin turn it into something incredible and they are taken so seriously nobody takes us seriously you can't that's not an option for us and he was right but even now there are so few south asians so few muslims who get to be a famous fashion designer and so he said obviously you'll want to earn money you want to earn a living mass apparel apparel retail not just design and so that's what I planned to do. So I went to college, I studied fashion. And then at 20, just before I was 25, I started my first business here in America. I'd been here for 14 years and I started a women's wear business, women's clothing. It was terrible for the first couple of years. I was funding the whole thing myself. I started with $13,000. I wasn't wealthy. I'd worked and worked and worked to save up this $13,000. It definitely wasn't enough to start a business. But I thought it's a start. It's better than nothing. And the first couple of years were terrible. And then I learned about something called wholesale, where I could do a, uh, a trade show and somebody from, let's say, Target or Nordstrom, a buyer could walk past my product, like it and say, could you mass produce it and put our label in it? I had no idea that existed. And so I did that. And I said yes to those companies. And that changed the trajectory of my entire life. I always dreamt that I would want to retire by 40. This, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound so pathetic, well, so lame and arrogant, but my parents are immigrants. My people are immigrants in the UK. And we were usually quite poor and we usually have to earn, but we usually have to have many jobs. My parents worked every hour that God sent. My siblings wow. raised me mostly. And I just thought, I want to do something major where I can retire by 40 and have my children and raise my children. I want to just raise my own children. And so, and that's a dream of so many immigrants. They want to build enough of a, a business for themselves so they can take care of their families and be present with their families. And so I, that was my dream. And then I started, I started doing really well with this business. And I thought people keep knocking me off. Like I will design something. I'll have it mass produced by the time it hits that store within a couple of weeks, somebody's done a cheaper version of it and they're selling it elsewhere. They were my competitors. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do a version of that where I knock myself off. I'm going to do my own cheaper brand. Nobody will ever know it's me. Um, the, the emails will all be women's emails. So they, they won't know it's me. I, I fabricated a bunch of emails. So they thought the woman, the person who owned it was a woman. So they could never think it was me. And then I thought, well, I also really like swimwear. I'll do swimwear. Then I also thought, I really like men's swimwear. I'll do men's swimwear. So I had four businesses. And by the time I hit 32, things had gone great. And I was like, I don't actually have to work anymore. We've got everything we could possibly need. And we weren't like, we were <laughs> crazy wealthy, but we were comfortable enough to be able 
to live our life happily, live our lives happily ever, uh, was wonderful husband. We wanted to have children. We just thought, why wait? Let's just do this. And so I sold my businesses. They all sold all four within a year. And because I'm Muslim, one of our rules, I, I stick to a lot of the rules. I usually don't drink alcohol or I haven't drank alcohol in many, many years. I don't smoke. I don't go to clubs. I Even though I married to a man, I've stuck with a lot of the rules. And one of the rules is you are not allowed to pay interest or receive interest. So you can't have a loan. And so I was one of the few companies in this land that was completely self-funded, not a penny owed to a bank or anyone else. No, like and credit so, cards, nothing? I've, I'd never had a credit card. I'd never had an overdraft, nothing. All I knew was that this was mine. I didn't owe anybody. Yeah. And I didn't realize was that made it such a, like an incredibly impressive business. Right. Because there was, normally when you buy a business, you inherit the debt also. There was no debt. And so they all sold. I, I was expecting five to 10 years, they'll all sell. They all sold within a year and I was shocked. And so I was going to retire. And then Netflix came along and the rest is history. <laughs> I think that like something we, that is so underrated is the idea of just being content. I yeah. think we feel like we need to be super, super happy, joyful, posting about it on Instagram, or we're down in the dumps. Yeah. Kind of figuring out our way out of that. There's no, not really a middle ground of just like being really happy and at peace with yourself. And I, uh, this is uh, again, going to sound arrogant, but I think I found this joy in life a few years ago when we were looking at selling. And I just thought I can feel this way every day if I want to. And so can my husband. And so we got to a place where we feel not just content. Yes, but actually joyful. We don't want for anything. We didn't want for anything because we, our lives, my husband was raised working class also, which I know is not a term here, but it's very, the class system is very prevalent in the UK. And even though we were both raised very working class, that means that we are so grateful for everything we have now. And so we're not constantly chasing that next big job. Somebody asked me, I went to brunch with somebody, a friend in New York who was saying, what's your next big thing? Like, what's the, the big thing you want to do next? And I just said, as long as I'm enjoying it, I don't care what the big thing is. If I'm not doing it anymore, I will quit. I don't need entertainment for a living. I was happy before this. This is just my bonus career. And as soon as I wow. don't like it, I'm going to stop because my life was good. We've been good. Quite a bonus career. Yeah, it's a wonderful bonus. <laughs> Quite a bonus career. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's a toxic thing in our society as an interviewer who studies yeah. questions and I'm really empowered by questions. And I think that they're like, to me, the capstone of the way that we communicate with each other and are curious and are interested. I find it so fascinating that one of the most popular questions to ask in an interview is what's next? Yeah. You're just like, yeah. is it not enough? It was that, is this whole conversation not enough? My answer is usually, I don't know. And, and, and it's okay. As long as I'm happy, that's what's next. That truly is, as long as I'm joyful. And I don't mean in the Kim Cattrall way, if I'm not having fun every hour, but not no, that I miss way. Her. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But yeah, it's it's more, uh, what is next is hopefully continue joy. Life will throw horrible things your way that you'll have to deal with. But almost every day, I'm, I'm joyful. Beautiful. I learned that when you were approached by Netflix to do Queer Eye, that yeah. you were extremely hesitant. Yeah, because life was already lovely. I'd already achieved everything I, I'd ever dreamt and more that I could for myself. And so there's no reason to rock the boat. And I just thought, why take on something that I don't know, I don't understand, and I might actually really be terrible at and then be really miserable. 
And so Netflix offered me an audition. I uh, had no interest. And then I got a call a few days later and I had no interest in that either. And then finally, somebody who was the intermediary wore me down and said, just take the call. That's all they're asking for. And so I did. And then I was offered the job. And even then I was like, yeah, initially I said yes. And then I said no. Again, I think that most people who have auditioned and auditioned and auditioned, including my castmates, they've, they've been working towards this for 10 years, most of them. It was the pinnacle of their career to be able to do a job like this. And for me, it was my biggest worry in life thinking, do I do this? This might be the most stupid thing I've ever done. Why rock the boat? I, I love it. I'm so glad I do my job. I love my job so much. But the first few weeks, if you had told me four and a half years later, I would say this publicly, that I'm so happy and I find the job easy and fun. I'd tell you, you're out of your mind. I'm not somebody who would ever entertain for a living. And I can't imagine I would ever find it pleasurable for the first few weeks. It was some of the, those first three episodes were some of the worst days of my life. Why? You're a phenomenal entertainer. Let me tell you from, from my viewership. I think it's, I, it's to me, it is always so beautiful when you hear someone who was unsure of themselves and maybe questioned that they couldn't do it. And then to know that they absolutely blossomed into this actually like iconic figure in media. I honestly don't uh, know how we got to the point where I feel comfortable. No, actually I do. I'm totally like, I, I, I worked really hard for it. But the, in answer to your first question, why did uh, I struggle so much and why were they the worst days of my life? I want you to imagine this and any, everyone listening to this, just imagine for a second, if you've got a normal life, if you're not an entertainer already, one day somebody says, okay, we're going to have a car pick you up. We're going to have 30 something people standing around. You're the first scene of the day. We know you've never done this before, but all we need to do is stand there for three hours and entertain millions. You don't have a script. There's no script. There's no retake. We do not reshoot anything. I swear to God, that's true. Whatever we say on Queer Eye is what we say. And if it gets used, it gets used. But we never, ever have a do-over. And so I was the first scene, the first day. And I stood there and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be physically sick. I was a shy person anyway. Most people don't believe that. I am actually quite shy. My go-to when I'm shy is to babble. That's And so when I'm my most talkative, it's because I'm nervous. And so I, I started doing it. And then the amount of times I needed to go pee, I've got sorry, <laughs> uh, the amount of times I pretended I need to go pee, but I was just crying in the restroom so hard thinking, what have I done? This is the worst thing I could ever have done. And how am I going to get out of this? I've signed a contract and I don't know how to get out of it. And so every day for those first three weeks, I cried. I'm not a crier. It's very rare I cry. I cried so much. Um, and I'd call my husband every night saying, I'm quitting tomorrow. I'm definitely quitting tomorrow. And then finally, after the third episode we shot, I tried to quit. And I'm so glad the person I spoke to helped help convince me to stay. The way that they did that, I was so concerned because all of my um, co-hosts are American. Or, and I call Anthony American because he's, he's American as far as I'm concerned. He was Canadian. He was born Canadian, but he's lived in the United States since he was like 15. And so they were all American, and which means... He, he and the rest of them know how to do jazz hands in their personality real easy. Americans, I think, are born mo- mostly very entertainery. They know how to do the hello, I'm here. Like You guys yeah, are. this is fascinating. Yes, you're 100% right. Yeah, Brits aren't like that. We're, we, they call us uptight and they say we have a stiff, stiff upper lip for a reason. We're not jolly like the Americans are. 
And this was a few years ago and I hadn't been here a long time. And so I didn't know how to be American. All I knew was how to be myself. And so I, I kept worrying and looking at the other four thinking, you guys are so loud. You're, they're mostly the same as they are on camera as they are in real life, but they just amp it up a, a little more. They're much louder. They're more funny. I don't know how to do any of that. All I know is this version of me. And so I thought I was going to get fired and I didn't want to get fired, even though it didn't matter to my life. I just didn't want the experience of being fired. And so I tried to quit and uh, they asked why. And I was like, I, I can't be American. And I know that that's what you clearly want because everybody else is that way. I, I, I'm much calmer and I don't know how to not say what I'm thinking. And so thankfully this person was saying uh, and, and made it clear, we hired you for that reason alone. We hired you as like, the heart of the show, the person that when people are watching at home think, I can relate to that person because I'm not super extra. And this is a global show. This isn't just for Americans. We want the Brits and Europeans and Asians to watch thinking that's the person that makes sense for us. And I was like, oh, I can just be myself for a living. Like, yeah. And so and then I, that's how I became such a confident entertainer. Now, I know that being on the show has opened up so many different levels of life for you. Personally, professionally, you've become such a, a beacon for so many people. But even just hearing what you're saying now, I'd love to hear, like, has being on the show, it seems like it's just opened up this whole other side of you that you might have yeah. never met. Yeah. You know, the best part, and this is way too deep for an afternoon, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The best part, oh, obviously, the, the parties are wonderful. Actually, I will say, I want everyone to understand life is nowhere near as glam in entertainment as one thinks it is. And I know that many people in entertainment say that you're always on the road. You're always leaving somebody behind. You are often in a hotel room on your own. And I'm not trying to ask for pity. It's part of the job. Like we're the luckiest people in the world, but it's definitely not the glam thing that you think it is or that I ever thought it was. But there are glam moments, but they are overshadowed by all the incredibly difficult work and difficult moments. The best part for me that really does build my confidence is Instagram. I We didn't have the luxury 20 years ago in entertainment or they didn't have the luxury of just knowing how this was impacting people's lives. And no matter what I do, I seem to be able to connect with somebody who has never met me before in a village in Kenya, Pakistan, wherever where they've never seen somebody look, that looks like me. And I think I'm still, maybe I'm wrong, but I was when the show came out, the first openly queer Muslim on television, global television, which is terrifying. But that's actually the, the reason I didn't want to do the show. Um, that is terrifying. And I think I still am four and a half years later, which is a scary position to be in. That means that you are the target for everyone's Everything. abuse. Right. everyone's abuse. You do not want to be the first at something like this. And so it is beautiful. The counterbalance to that is receiving hundreds of messages, literally hundreds of DMs a day from kids all over the world saying, I just didn't realize life was possible. Happiness was possible. And they see me living truly joyfully. And it, that hopefully inspires them to believe that they have the right to be happy too. And if nothing else, live truly I know this is going to sound like bullshit if nothing else I just think my son who is a baby can look back in 20 30 years and think my dad did something like he empowered people to feel like they have freedom even in the countries where they don't have freedom they get to hope for freedom and that then nothing feels 
more powerful than that for me. I mean, even on the, like, even just in the show, like watching what you do for people that are on every episode, I, my, you know, I love everyone on the show, but my favorite moments truly come from when that person walks out of the dressing room who was slightly hesitant as to what you were showing them and has tears in their eyes. Or like, you can actually see this moment where that person is looking at themselves differently. I love the season. It's with all of us on the Fab Five. It's our favorite season ever. It was our favorite American season ever that we've right. done. And we all worked so hard to make sure it was different from every other season. If you get a chance, Liv, just watch that one scene of when Angel, her name is Angel, when she walks out of the dressing room. I've never, ever felt what I felt when she saw herself. She is a, a, a girl who transitioned, I think, a year and a half prior to a shooting. And she'd never been able to shop because she felt so paranoid about what cis women were thinking of her. And so she'd never felt comfortable in her skin. And she breaks down. It's such a beautiful moment where you think, OK, this is the power of what clothes can do for a person. 100%. In those moments, I think I feel... I don't know. It, it's you, I feel so as, as a viewer, I feel so connected to you and that ability to bring that on, out in a person is tricky. I always say I think you have the hardest job on Queer Eye because bringing okay. out that just the way that you identify yeah. the right look for someone and it's not high fashion. We're talking no. everyday apparel. We're talking things yeah. that people need to live in and feel comfortable in and they need to feel their best in and the way that you pull these things together. Liv, I need to tell you this more than most people because I know that there are fashion people that listen to your podcast. So I need to get this off my chest. Go for it. The amount of bitchy stylists who slip into my DMs is insane. Critiquing the fact that I don't put the mail in Dior, Stella. What? I'm like, are you what? Do you understand the show? Like, if I was taking Gigi, I'd be like, yeah, of course I'll take her to any of those stores that make sense for her. For a woman who works in Walmart and her uh, her date life, dating life is staying at home with her husband and maybe making a dinner and then sitting out on the veranda, we're trying to, this, this is not a makeover show, it's a make better show. We're trying to say, this is your life the way it is now, right now. We're going to polish it up. I'm not trying to turn you into Mary-Kate or Ashley. I'm trying to turn you into the very best version of Jane Smith that you are. And so when I, I get that critique so often that I can't even tell you. I'm how t- truly shocked by that. When I step into, it actually it happened this past week when I go to a show, the stylist will look at me like, what's she doing here? And I always want to say, do you think that that's the only, you think that that's the only styling I do? Like, I, I want you to understand I actually think it makes a stronger stylist who doesn't just pull that look from the runway and say, okay, we're taking that look from head to toe and putting it on a supermodel. That's that's not Couldn't it. Agree more. Couldn't I agree have more. to take this person. And just so you know, I have to shop somewhere within 20 minutes of their home. So if all they've got is a target, that's all I've got that week. All I've got is that target and I better find a look that makes her feel amazing or him feel amazing. You tried doing that. To me, that's more fashion. That's more craft than any high yeah. fashion moment that you can pull from a lookbook and call it a day. That transformation to something that is not, it's not aspirational. It's actually for this person game changing in their life. It's like, oh my yeah. God, I can look like this. I can afford this. I can do this in my everyday life. That's life changing. Not this yeah. fairy tale moment that continues, n- not their reality. 
I would ruin, I honestly think that I would ruin some design because it would ruin my life. Yes. If I was given one wardrobe, one time in my life that was all couture and then never again could I afford another piece of that, I would think, whoa, if I never had known this, I would never have known what it feels like to be in this and I would never know this feeling. So it doesn't matter if I never have that feeling again, I will have my version of that. I, that's what we're doing on the show. Every now and then we will spoil somebody. Very Every now and then, if they've had just the roughest times, and I make it clear, this is not what I imagine you will buy for the rest of your life. I've gotten you this, which is very expensive, but I've also gotten you all these other things that are from Zara, Topshop, H&M that are a lot more accessible. But I wanted to give you this because I want you to have that one princess moment. Other than that, we don't make it unattainable, unrealistic, and short-term. This is meant to be a change for the rest of their lives. And so when I get those sneery looks or those mean comments, I just think, leave me alone. You don't understand what I'm doing for my job. You clearly don't understand our show. You don't get it. You don't get it. You just don't get it. Yeah. And you never will. (laughs) No. I also love that you're doing that with your new line, Was Him. Thank you. The other day you posted something on Instagram that talked about the fact that you were bringing prices down because so many of your consumers wanted to wear wanted to purchase yeah. and support you yeah. and wear it because they loved it and weren't able to. And I, I've never seen anyone do that. I was so scared. I can't even tell you how scared I was. Let me tell you why, why we did it. So was him when we were launching was him. I wanted, I, here's my problem. I'm still frugal. I am still that working class boy from a very small town. And I know the value of money and I refuse to spend $10,000 on one coat. I just refuse to, I'm not willing to do it. Even though I know we earn well, we're entertainers, it should be okay to just be like, I'm going to spend that 10 grand on that coat. It makes me feel physically sick. I just think I know my family could do with that. Like I know that that could change my friend or family's life forever. And so I just, I won't do it. And so I wanted to create a brand where beautiful coats that had details that were a little more interesting than just an HM Azara coat often has minimal extra detail because they need to keep the price point low. And so it's quite simple. It's beautiful, but it's simple. I wanted those little kisses that made it clear it was my brand and it just felt a little more elevated, more of a statement coat without it costing a fortune. And so when I was working with the company that I partnered with Thimble to create the brand, my, my one stipulation was it needs to be great quality, but I do not want to charge more than $500 for anything we ever do. And I thought that that was reasonable. However, I forgot that I've been earning a, uh, more than a regular salary for about 10 years. And I clearly had uh, I'd forgotten that that is still a stretch for a lot of people. And, and that was my mistake. And so, and I stupidly asked my friends, but a lot of my friends were entertainers or exceptional learners. Right. like, 500 is great. And so we launched and I was so upset. We did, the launch was amazing. But there were so many people who felt screwed over by me saying, we're your audience and you know us and you've talked so long about promoting accessible clothing for everyone. And I have, that's what I do on the show. And they say, then you put out something that's $450. Like we can't afford that, not even as an investment piece. And I felt sick to my stomach. And so I spoke to my husband. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I I either want to shut down the brand because I feel so embarrassed that I missed the mark so greatly. or I just have to do something that might publicly embarrass me and say, you know what? I made a really big mistake. I lost touch with reality and I'm so sorry. And so I 
that I spoke to the company that I work with and I said, we need to find a way to bring the cost down for this second season. It was already in production. They're like, there's no way, there's literally no way to bring down the cost. Oh, and I was like, I'm going to cut my fee completely. This is too much information. And people have said, you should never say this, but I don't care. I'm just going to say it. I feel comfortable with you. I said, I'm not taking any percentage from, the, and I, I swear to God, it's true. I swear on my husband's life, this is true. I said, I'm not going to take one cent of profit myself from this season. I just need us to lower the price and I need people to feel, I need my audience to be seen. And they were like, okay, we're not, uh, we're, we're not suggesting you do that, but if you're willing to do that, that's the only way we can bring down the price. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so, because it was already in production, it was already on its way wow. to us. It was already shipped. And so we couldn't uh, miraculously just make cheaper coats. Right. And so it was on its way. And so I did my post and I was ready for people to make fun and say, you launched your brand two months ago and now you've decided to lower the price. Are you basically in sale? Are you a promo brand? And thankfully, the customer was so lovely. The amount of people who reached out, hundreds reached out and said, we've never seen anyone do this before. Never Never. seen a brand say, we made a mistake. I didn't listen to you, but I hear you now and I'm making that change. And it made such a difference. It made such a difference. And the, the response has been amazing. I loved seeing it. Can I tell you why? Because I think we are so, especially in fashion, we are so quick to cancel someone who doesn't get it right. Yeah. So quick. We, of course. Yeah. And I think with you, you know, it, it was an honest mistake. Yeah. And I think I I find that more admirable to go on there and say, okay, I made this mistake. I wasn't fully listening, but I still want to, I want to do this. And you stuck mm-hmm. to it. I think a lot of people would cower and say, okay, I'm closing the brand. But yeah. I, I don't know. It was, for me, it was very heartwarming to see that. And I thought that that was a true testament to how much this means to you. And yeah. I really do love that Thimble stood behind you on that. I think a lot of people would kind of shy away from that. Yeah, they're fantastic. I'm not saying this just because they're partners. They have been fantastic. They were so understanding and they knew how upset I was. Right. I've been incredibly emotional about it. And so we're still not where we need to be. That's as low as we could lower it because we already had the product. I do plan on getting an even better price point with with our drop three, which is next, uh, sorry, this year. Wow. Over in 2022. For our next collection, I want to bring the, the price down to the to the final point that we'll bring it down to that I just think, yes, it's more expensive than Zara, but it's worth the cost because we're providing a coat that is better. I know we're providing something that's better. Very cool too. I have the checkered one and I, first off, fit is phenomenal. Wait, have you got the long one or the, the short one? Long. Oh, I love the long. Me too. I live in it. I saw a photo of you in it and I was like, I, this one have to. Like it is, it, the fit is amazing. The fabric is so comfortable. I feel like it's something that like, it's really well made, very structured and like warm, which you don't get with a lot of like, quote unquote, well-priced coats. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about the design real quick. So I have always designed my own product, even with every one of those four brands, even though it was insanely busy. I sit down and I do what we call a tech pack for every brand. I see the first sample and do a fit tech, fit check of every piece we've ever put out, any piece I've ever put out in my entire 15 years in this. And that was the case for this coat. And because now this is the first time I'm putting out a brand as a person in the public eye, I felt even more pressure to make of sure course. it was safe. And it is hard to do. You have a bigger audience to serve. Yes. And greater critics. Nobody cared what Tan before all of this was doing. But now if Tan screws up something, it will make the press. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that it was right. However, it's very difficult with a gender neutral brand because you've kind of got to hit a middle ground 
that's good for the cis woman, cis man, and the non-binary or non-binary trans community. And so it is difficult. It's a tall order, especially with outerwear when it comes to the shoulders and the sleeves. Right. The cis woman's arm is slightly shorter than a cis man's arm. And so there's so much to consider. I st- I spent so much time on that damn shoulder, you would not believe. We it's did a good so- shoulder. I'm obsessed with it's my shoulder. It's a good shoulder. shoulder. Like, let me tell you, when I was saying earlier, the fit is really good. The first thing I felt when I put it on was a damn good shoulder. Thanks. It is, in my opinion, the thing that can make or break a piece of outerwear. And it's the difference between a cheap, and I'm not talking about inexpensive, I'm talking about cheaply made or cheaply designed uh, piece of outerwear is if you screwed up the shoulder. My, My major in college was tailoring. And I just thought, if I get that wrong... I'm not worth anything. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for saying that you liked it. I love that coat. So I love that coat so much. In general, everyone has the same shoulder and I think they're incredible. The amount of times that I hear a day, oh my God, there are so many new fashion brands. Like, how do we keep up with this? Or I hear people be discouraged from starting their own brands because they're like, I'd never stand out. To me, when I see your brand, there are so many elements of you in it. Thanks. And... I always tell people, I say, look at brands like that because that's a secret sauce. That's something yeah. that no one else can bring to the table. Only you can bring that to the table because that's your your own experience and the way that you're bringing that into design. You had so many companies before. You have so much experience that only you can make a tech pack the way that you did. Yeah. All the design and the artistry and the embroidery that's not just ironed on, like fully embroidered in. Like all of that comes from your love of art and craft and real love for fashion and your audience of people that want something lower priced. That's why the brand is what it is. It's because it's your own secret sauce. And so I always tell people, if you want to do it, do it. Just make sure you bring your own perspective into it. Yeah. I get asked so often by people, how do you create a brand? Like what, what should I do? And I just think if you have to ask me that, right? I don't know if it's wise for you to do this. You got to have the bite. Yeah. I never had to ask anyone. I just said, I know that this thing is missing because I, again, I shop for a living. I know this is missing and it's what I want to do. And I represent all these things with my brand. I, I made sure it's so clear. You can see the Britain me. You can see the American in this collection. You can see the South Asian with the embroidery in this collection. You can't mistake that a white person's not doing that. They're not, they're not considering any of the elements that I've considered as a complete package. And my gosh, the next drop, we're leaning even more into that. I want people to be able to see that no matter who's wearing it, I can still tell that's 10 brands. I love that. That's what makes it a more unique brand. So if you're thinking, oh, should I do this? What are you doing that's different from everybody else? Because there's no reason to do another sweats brand. I can buy that from literally everywhere right now. We were talking about Thimble a little bit earlier. And for me, as someone in fashion, I'm fascinated by just new brands that come up the way that we decide to bring them into the world. It is amazing to see just the wide range of ways that we can do that today. I think it's really inspiring for a lot of people who want to start brands. So I want to hear a little bit of the background of Thimble. I know it's a fashion incubator, but how did the two of you partner up to bring this to life? You know, here's the thing. I had been approached probably every month for three years asking if I wanted to do a brand. The funny thing is, I've always made it so clear publicly. I've been saying it in almost every interview where they ask me about a brand, I will never do a brand again. And that's because I'd always managed everything. With all four of my brands, I managed all operations. I had a team of staff. I was basically a business owner that managed operations. And my side project was designing the project mm. product, which is the only thing I really wanted to do. But 
it was my business. And so finally I met with Thimble and they said, what do you want to do? We would, we will do whatever you want to do. We're not saying you should do one thing. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I don't care about clothes. I, I, you can buy clothes anywhere at, 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 all, at all price points. At pretty much anything you want, you can Google, you can find it. When it comes to outerwear, the only thing I struggle with, and I am a seasoned shopper, I shop all day, every day for myself and for other people. What I really struggle with is outerwear that's well-priced, fits amazingly it's well. Tough. You feel just beautiful in it. And, and my gosh, it better be affordable. We will find a way to make that happen. And I said, I, and I also want complete creative control. I want to control what kind of product we make. Nobody tells me what to design. I Thankfully, I hit a point in my career where nobody can tell me what to do if I want to design something. I want to do it. And I want to decide what the branding is like. I want to decide where we shoot, who shoots it, what that looks like, what the Instagram looks like. I want complete creative control because nobody's going to blame you if something is terribly done. They will blame me. Right. They said, we can do all of that. And they delivered on everything. So it's a one-stop shop. It's a one-stop shop. The Love only that. thing I really have to do is design, which I'm completely anal about. And they even said, they were like, you you know, we don't expect you to do this. I was like, no, I will do my own tech pack, which means I will give every measurement. I will say wow. exactly what I want every little detail to be. And it takes a long damn time. And they were like, okay, if you really want to do it, we've got a team of people who do it, but you can if you want. And then the only thing you need to do is the creative, right? And so it's been a beautiful partnership. And you were right when you said not many people would do what they did or agree to what they agreed to when it came down to pricing, but they did. So at every turn, they've been formidable and they're going to continue to do this with other people. I don't know who, but I just think, yeah, as far as incubators go, there are many of them out there. I've met with so many of them. And they, they all have what they want to do and they just want to plug in a celebrity. Like a face or a name or something. Yeah. yeah. Not, I was never interested in that. The only way I was willing to get back into this game, which is a scary game to be in because retail is not easy, especially right. now. It was the only way I was willing to do it. As if you don't have enough things on your plate right now, Next in Fashion is coming back. I'm particularly excited for this season. No specific I, I reason. So for anyone who hasn't paid attention to our conversation to this point, Liv and I have a very, very sweet, but relatively unknown friend in common. Her name is Gigi Hadid. She's an up-and-comer, I guess, is how it is. Yes, totally. She's, she's, new, she's new to the runways. This is the yeah, first, time, yeah, first time we've seen her this fashion week. Yeah, I think she's going to make it. Um, anyway. <laughs> She is arguably the mo- one of the most famous women in the world, one of the most famous famouses in the world, and in my opinion, one of the best supermodels we've ever seen, ever. I think she's bloody incredible. And she just so happens to be our lovely friend. And she, and so Next in Fashion season one came out just before the pandemic, literally weeks before the pandemic. We didn't know if we were going to do a- another season. It was always planned to be maybe a one and done. And then it has stayed in Netflix trending for about, a year and a half, two years since it came out. Saw it is, consistent throughout the pandemic. Consistent in the top 10. Oh, so weird. Like normally, and, and that's not an arrogant comment. We actually, I spoke to the team at Netflix. They're like, that's so strange. We don't see that. And so Netflix like, we kind of have to do another one. Like it, we're being forced at this point. And so Gigi is my new co-host. I'm so excited. Gigi and I have known each other for four years. So I feel like it's going to be so easy to do it with somebody who, I love Alexa Chung. I am have biggest fan and she's still one of my very favorite people in the world but I didn't know Alexa before I met her I'd only met her literally one time before we started shooting so this should be even meatier because my gosh I know this girl and she knows me and I think it's gonna be really special 
really special. I can't wait for it. One, I am just very excited for this like next chapter of her career. I have always seen her on TV. Like since yeah. we were kids, I've always been like, you're so made for this moment. I love watching people's, especially people that I love's careers, like progress in different directions. I think that's like so refreshing, so inspiring and just really exciting. Feels like a new era for her. But I also know both of you are like competition show buffs. Like I've, I have watched competition shows I didn't even know about with her. So I can't wait to see the way that that comes into this with both of you. And just to see your friendship on screen, I'm so, so, so excited about it. Thank you. I want to add one point, please. Do you watch the show Great British Bake Off? Or great, here we call it Great British Baking Show. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> one of my favorite shows. Actually, it's my favorite show. I have it on in the background all day, every day. I've watched the seasons at least 15 times over. Oh, little fact you might not know. I did the celebrity version, which doesn't play on Netflix, and I won. Uh, what? Three years ago, two and a half, three years okay, ago. Okay, I got to go um, find that one on the dark web. Yeah, I'm so proud of it. It was my You should be. Life. That's amazing. I literally cried as I entered the tent. If I wasn't doing this for a living and, and I was retired, I would be a baker and I would have opened a bakery by now. It's been my dream my entire life. I just love baking. I love that. Um, anyway, so the thing I love, one of the things I love about the baking show is just, just that it's so positive and the bakers are so kind to each other. And it's just uplifting television. Yes. And so, where I, and so when I was offered Next in Fashion, I was like, I will, but it cannot be nasty. I will not rip anyone down. I will not be bitchy. I won't watch the contestants be bitchy. If someone's nasty, they're off the show. And they're like, okay, if, if that's what it takes, so be it. I was like, we can't, there can be a competition show that isn't disgustingly mean to each other. And a fashion competition show. Absolutely. I was like, I have had a fashion career and I've really enjoyed the positivity I can offer. There's got to be more like me. And so I do love that that's what you get with this show. In my opinion, it's the fashion Great British Baking show. Instead of cakes, they're making clothes, but it's still as positive and uplifting. But still, you can find so much drama in that. As uh, You do not have to have somebody literally slap someone for it to be dramatic and fun. Well, you two are two of the most joyful, positive, impactful people that I know. So I have no doubt that this next season will be epic. I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. It will not between the designers. I mean, me and Gigi will fight constantly. It's <laughs> a horrible episode of Housewives where I throw a glass of wine in her face. She slaps me. But the contestants will have a lovely experience. We'll do it behind the scenes. You know how they'll do like an Andy After Dark. We'll do an yes. Andy After Dark of how we feel. Yeah, yeah. So I know you guys are just starting to film. So it's going to be a, a couple months, right? Or not starting to film yet, but like you're casting. Yeah, so right. they just started casting. We haven't got our production schedule yet. So they, it is so early on. We only made the announcement, I think, two weeks ago. Right. And so they started casting at that point. The show, so the way it works with a Netflix show is you shoot it, takes about three months to edit, and then it takes at least a couple of months minimum for them to translate it uh, and dub it and subtitle it wow. um, for all the um, global uh, territories. So it is, we are a long way away. But it's exciting to just know we're starting shooting soon. Well, Tan, expect me to be crashing set. Absolutely crashing. I <laughs> talked about this literally yesterday with Gigi saying, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm doing uh, Liv's podcast. She was like, oh yeah, great. You'll have a lovely time. I said, I'm assuming she'll come to set. She's like, yeah, of course she'll come to set. Can't wait. So I will see you plenty on set, I'm sure. Very excited. Tan, thank you so much for coming on today. It was so lovely to catch up with you after so long and just hear thank so much you. about your experience and impact. So thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your really, really thoughtful questions. Of course. You know, I had to had to spice it up for you, Tanny.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.